0: Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we got two wonderful guests. Uh, most of you should recognize Josh. Uh, Josh, who I served in the government with, lover of all things cryptozoology, werewolves, skinwalkers, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. Glad to have you back here, Josh. And today we're welcoming our really special guest, uh, Lyle Blackbird. Uh, Lyle is an author, producer, singer of the, the band Ghoul Town. Uh, he's been on every single TV show and the author some incredible books to the boggy creek casebook and sinister swamps uh which are the only two i've had but the other ones have actually been a order on amazon so uh you can grab all his stuff on amazon and uh but uh lyle it's great to be out here today with you
1: hey thanks for having me guys uh
0: so the reason why i want you on here obviously josh and i have this love of all things bigfoot and werewolves and all that but anything with hair before- Anything, anything with hair. But for you, before we kind of jump into your career and some of the work you've done and some of the research is amazing, how did you kind of, as a child, is it was there any catalyst or stuff that kind of led you down this path? Like how did you kind of become like this, or I would consider you a staple now in this genre and horror and, and in general itself?
1: Well, I mean, it was just something that I was born with, I guess. Um, as far back as I can remember, I loved horror movies and you know anything on tv that had vampires and werewolves or ghosts i just love that stuff and sometime in elementary school they passed around this little thing where you could order scholastic books and i got one called strange but true and it had stories of bigfoot yeti loch ness monster and other real just weird stuff you know and i was like whoa this is really cool because this is like monsters that could exist you know and they you know those type things were you know far away from where i lived in texas you know it's like i i I wasn't gonna convince my parents to take me to scotland or anything like that so (laughs) then i i by some miracle my parents took me to a drive-in and we saw the movie the legend of boggy creek back in the 70s sometime when i was really little and that really did it for me because it dramatized sightings of a sasquatch like creature in southern arkansas only about 3 hours from where i lived in north texas and so that that right there just kind of put together the the scary the horror the the cryptids real life monsters and, and i've just been fascinated ever since you know not it was later that i just sort of just sort of got into this more seriously and professionally but you know it's just been something uh, i've been a lifelong fan
0: now going through school though were you always big into the notes the research because the work you've done specifically for the boggy creek stuff with the case studies and working with these other groups to research and interviews did this type of passion you had for this stuff help you actually in life through school and stuff like that when it came to research and reading and all that too
1: Well, I I never really thought of it in terms of I could do any kind of research. You know, when I was younger, I just liked the subject and just would read books or, you know, whatever. And, And I never thought even a clue that maybe I could actually go and research. But the thing that did help me is I was always good at writing and in music and and i've kind of been a professional musician slash writer in some form or another my whole life so the the writing part uh really helped when i came to the point of well i want to research these things i want to write a book about what was true about the legend of boggy creek which is kind of where i started in the research phase and then you know having you know a having done professional writing, then those skills came in to kind of catapult me into documenting and researching.
2: Yeah. John and we were talking a little bit about that in the pre-show of, uh, kind of how what differentiates you and and some of the other people working in the field, it's just uh, you kind of focus on what I consider more interesting, which is a lot of those local monsters like that local folklore and, and some of that touches on, you know, national stuff like Bigfoot things, things you could find anywhere in the woods, but the level of research you've done uh, with Uh, local cases as far as old newspaper articles eyewitness stuff the interviews you did for boggy creek they're they're really interesting um what kind of led you to focus on the more local stuff uh considering that as you said earlier you were kind of into anything paranormal and cryptid early on with with movies and whatnot like like we all
1: all were i think you know and, and kind of kind of launched from the boggy creek thing where the creature was essentially a bigfoot i mean it's described as seven foot tall, covered in hair and walked upright on two legs. But because it had a movie and it was called the Boggy Creek Monster, it seemed to have more personality than just sort Mm -hmm. of generic Bigfoot. And after I researched that case, I just really appreciated how the local flavor played into the story and even the sightings of that creature. So when I went forward working on other books and things, I kind of continued in that format where I would talk about the place where it was cited and and look for cases that had a bunch of newspaper coverage and maybe had a name, you know, the lizard man or the Sabine Mm. thing or uh, whatever the name was. It just seemed to be more cool and almost creepy and scary and regionalized than just sort of tackling Bigfoot as a whole.
2: Yeah, I, I think yeah the more re- the more regional or the more localized those those old newspaper reports, especially prior to people wanting to fake this kind of stuff, are are really interesting. Um, it, out of everything you've looked into, is there anyone you would say is uh, like most credible or more credible?
1: As far as the creatures.
2: Yeah, just as far as like what you found, uh, you know, local evidence that was collected or or just anything in research that's you know, uh, like a mothman is is as horrifying as some of the stories come out for that, like the evidence is kind of uh, more specific to like
1: West Virginia or something like that. Right. You know, I think that the, you know, Bigfoot has seems the most possible to exist. It has the most physical evidence with the footprints, some, you know, unknown hair, as well as obviously thousands and thousands of sightings many of them reported by people who you know there's these aren't crazy hillbillies these are people who have military backgrounds biologists you know everyday people Um, and many of those have you know i've interviewed those types of people and you know i just can't explain what they saw they saw something and they saw something they couldn't explain Um, you know, that there's various Bigfoot cases. Obviously, the Boggy Creek case, I've looked into it so much that I can just sort of go, well, all these people aren't making this up. And there's a few of those people that had really ironclad sort of sightings where it was like, well, they're not mistaking this and they're not making this up. Um, there's been other cases where, say, In Georgia, there's there's an area called Elkins Creek where a deputy sheriff cast a pretty darn good print um, out of there. That's more like Georgia Bigfoot, but that's a really Mm. good cast. Um, When you start getting into things like river monsters or lake monsters and stuff, I mean, there's less sort of the physical evidence. You're just kind of going by anecdotal stories something like the Lizard Man, you know, it's going down this, that gets into just what in the world could this be? Because the biology of something that's reptilian yet stands upright like a man that's seven feet tall you know, you can almost try to explain Bigfoot and convince your uncle that it's probably real. But when you start telling them lizard, man, right. Yeah. From the black lagoon, you know, Yeah, <laughs> that's more of a
2: blooper reel special
1: or something. It starts getting harder. Now that doesn't mean the story is not just as engaging and cool and creepy because that's man. you know, I love the story and the phenomenon of it. Um, and when you get into stuff like Mothman, you know, Now you play in UFO sightings and men in black. And what evidence, you know, there's no footprints of Mothman, those just become harder and harder to rationalize in simple terms. Not that they don't exist, just that those are harder. So, you know, for me, Bigfoot and the various regional versions of it are at the top of the list. And then there's some, you know, other cryptids descending down the list.
0: What I loved about the Boggy Creek casebook book is I'm I'm big into research. I love note-taking. I love just digging deep into old interviews and stuff. And Josh brought up a good point earlier where it's kind of like the idea that you do new research on old cases. And I think that's something really unique that you do because you go back and interview these people again, or you go back and research where they saw this and take pictures. And for you... How exciting is it for you when you go back and talk to these people? Does this help invigorate kind of your passion for this? Or are you just trying to, trying to maybe just figure out what exactly these people all saw?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm excited by it because if it's something that was documented in the newspapers, and Josh talked about this a little bit and said, that was kind of before you know, everybody's got a Facebook Bigfoot group now, and, you know, everybody wants to have an experience. Back then, people, uh, they they didn't really want to tell anybody they had seen a giant ape in the woods. People think they're crazy, and just not as accepted as now when you've seen 10 seasons of finding Bigfoot, and you're like, well, (laughs) people are just like me. They don't seem crazy, you know? Yeah. So, I think those old cases say something in that, you know, obviously there's a history of this going on and those cases, sometimes all the dots was were never connected. You know, they'd be run some in the newspaper and then nobody really, like a Bigfoot researcher or a cryptid researcher didn't interview them. It was just journalists. So mm-hmm. if I can go back, especially if I can find the people or maybe the son of the woman who saw it and get the full story and then all of a sudden connect it to not only the other sightings that were reported in the news, but some others that never were. And there's Mm. like, Oh, wow. You put this together. You go, there's something to this. You know, all these people saw this. Um, and, and I just love kind of that vintage feel kind of goes with my, how I like the regional cases, just that kind of 1970s monster thing, you
2: know? Yeah. (laughs) The classics right behind you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like that
2: um yeah so i'll go into i i mean we're getting into the best season of the year for me the halloween season obviously and i i was i was creeping on your instagram here and and you kind of started talking about uh some of the werewolf legends and lore stuff you've done separately um you know what what do you what do you kind of give to that as far as relevancy like uh like anthropy you know it's it's historical goes back to europe you know with foundations and and know roman uh, you know mythology um do you think that it, it it's something that's somewhat credible or is it more important to folklore than it has been to science is it kind of like a warning versus uh something more credible
1: yeah i mean it, the the whole werewolf werewolf thing i mean there's kind of two aspects to that you know the, the traditions of werewolves and and it dates back to all these cultures previously of sort of a shape-shifting or a human that becomes a wolf and then you have the the sort of cryptozoology cryptid version which is dog man which doesn't really propose that that creature was once a human it's just this bipedal wolf or something this incredibly large wolf so um you know obviously i put more credence in in a dog man that I do werewolves um, you know I love all that I love the movies and the wolf man's one of my favorite films mm-hmm. um, and, and I think the archetype of the werewolf often kind of gets thrown in when people see a dog man but we got to separate the two from supernatural versus an aberration or sort of an animal that's you know, like what, like hogzilla or whatever, there's this right. wolfzilla. Yeah. You know, some people don't even say it walks upright. It's just these giant wolves or just weird stuff. Um, and, and, and dog man is, there's a lot of sightings now it's kind of become a, I don't know, in vogue to see a dog man. I mean, mm. you know, 10 years ago I'd get some of those reports and there's there's a history of it that I've studied and cases, same thing as like I've looked at with Boggy Creek and others. Um, but now it's like Dogman groups and Dogman investigation societies. So everybody's kind of focused in on that, but, mm. but I think there's some credible sightings and I've interviewed some people that are like, it looked like a werewolf. I don't know how to right. What else to tell you, you know?
2: Yeah. Now- yeah. You did. Sorry. I was going to say, you did some narration and one of my favorites was uh, the Bray road beast. Um, i love watch i've watched that probably fifteen times on t v cool. but uh i mean that's that's a very convincing case to me because that has a lot of support from what the local community uh and it seems like it was well known locally well before you know it kind of got outside of there so do you have any thoughts on that that case being a little more credible than some of the other stuff we've heard
1: yeah I mean I think uh, the Bray Road case El- near Elkhorn Wisconsin. um has some good things to it first there's a lot of credible witnesses that saw this and then you had you have Linda Godfrey who was Mm -hmm. in the right place at the right time to kind of you know continually research and interview these people and Linda is a very well-balanced you know person you're not trying to convince you of it or convince you it's not she's just simply looking into it from a investigative journalist point of view which is kind of what i do Mm. and uh the fact that she collected all that and put this stuff connected the dots it makes that case very credible i mean Mm. i literally have no doubt people saw some kind of wolf-like creature that to this day we can't quite explain and then the popularity you know that was sort of the launching point for the dog man thing is as people began to realize well it's not just bray road there's sightings in michigan and pennsylvania and i mean there's been a ton in the south too hmm.
0: I, I don't want to assume that the viewers uh a lot of our listeners obviously know who locked that bigfoot like werewolf type stuff but for a dog bed, what is the what are the characteristics of what you've come across to research what the dog bed actually looks like
1: The general description of a dog man is a canid, which is like a wolf sometimes described as a dog or a hyena, just some strange looking dog or wolf that has the ability to stand upright on two legs that can walk bipedally for a certain distance. Sometimes they're on all fours a little bit and they stand up or sometimes they're just seen running across the road on two legs. They're usually, you know, they, they have this, the long muzzle, the snout, um, hair, paws are sometimes described as having almost like pseudo hands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that obviously creates a puzzle because wh- why would a four legged, right. you know, digit grade animal get up and walk on two legs? But people see it and, and so it, uh, obviously it's sort of, you think werewolf. Some people go, I don't know how to describe it other than it looks like, looked like a werewolf.
0: As a, when it comes to yourself as a researcher, is it, what's tougher for you to kind of research actual video footage or pictures or something audio or uh, sonic type footage? Like how do you kind of, I mean, obviously one or the other is great, but if you can combine both probably even better, but what's the disparity between whenever we see a picture of a Bigfoot, like the Patterson case, like you see that or you see this l- the latest one this past week, Josh, where the guy in Idaho kind of caught a picture of a big or walk in there, the, the stuff, the videos you hear the of making noises in the woods or the pictures, like, how is it that we haven't yet? As a researcher, does that bother you that we've yet to actually capture proper audio or video, something like this?
1: Yeah, of course, that that poses a problem, especially the longer it goes. You know, the Patterson-Gimlin film is over 50 years old, and there's very few that have come even close to that. Um, But, you know, you can dismiss a lot of those pictures and videos because they just, they're grainy. People like, you have to circle it. It it could be a shadow or anything. not saying it's not a Bigfoot, but it's like, you know, it's not that easy to get like go try to film a Wolverine or whatever. I mean, they can do it, but if you just took a, if I just walked, like if you, us three went out there, like we're not really wildlife biologists, where do we start looking? Wolverines exist. And they're, they're super hard to capture on film. Um, Bigfoot being the same way. So, and, and of course with the internet, you know, you, there's so many people trying to laugh this off or hoax it or throw you know, a bone out there and Bigfoot researchers jump on it for a while until they realize that it's not credible or it doesn't help us. Um, you know, I get a lot of audio clips, but of course they're just sort of unidentified things. You don't actually see a Bigfoot making the noise, so all you can do is speculate that, well, I don't know what other kind of animal it is, maybe it's a Bigfoot, but, you know, that's not going to prove anything. Um, so, You know, I think ultimately Bigfoot is they're few and much more few and far between than people realize they're much harder to get on camera. It's not that easy. And I mean, people say, well, there's all these game cameras that are out there. Well, there's been a study. There was a study some years ago that uh, proved that alpha Male coyotes could sense the cameras and would actively avoid them, and this was a real study. I mean, if a dumb old coyote can sense this and avoid it, perhaps something with more intelligence can sense something in the woods that doesn't belong and will just go around it. Right. So that's you know we just have to say well, there's a possibility exist it exists, and just because we hadn't proved it doesn't mean it doesn't exist i guess
2: yeah i've done some reading about you know how uh, i didn't know about the wolf study that's interesting i'll have to look that up but about you know infrared uh light them being able to detect it in a wavelength and it's like you said it's odd to them so they'll avoid it uh or some other stuff with uh, infrasound like with some of the audio recordings it's like you know, some stuff is not uh, easily discernible because it's like, you don't know what that is. But then they've had other recordings where there's like an infrasound layer to it where they're like, there's only certain, like apex predators can make that certain sound. And I find those more interesting, but unfortunately, uh, I I don't know, the field isn't big enough to really investigate all those. So, but hopefully it gets there.
1: Yeah, I I think it comes down to those amazing animals. People, you know, want to attribute all these supernatural powers to bigfoot but man animals that we're just still learning about yeah. communication between dolphins and um look at what octopuses can do even something as simple as a chameleon we see it changing color thing just change colors so you know there's all these things that you know this creature could have at its command you know from blending into the environment i mean you know shade the shading of the fur is it's on purpose it's to camouflage and if it's trying to hide uh, or if it has some kind of ultrasound or sense senses the uh the ir on a camera and all this other stuff that would be just an extremely hard thing to go into the woods and just get on film mm-hmm. now
0: when you do research and obviously you do a ton of it how receptive of other groups are uh, like say i know obviously you've worked at the texas bigfoot research center uh um, with the Boggy creek case book and you reference them a lot and obviously they've been receptive to you looking at their research and stuff but is there is there a part of that this life you're in where these different groups are very guarded with their information they want to be the first people to find the stuff and they don't want someone like you that kind of just digging around in their research? Like, how do you kind of navigate your way through these different groups that may be guarded for the information they have?
1: Um, I've always tried to play neutral to, to that and not play into group politics. I mean, I understand that when you're investing a lot of time and you have a group and a camaraderie, you know, you, right. if, if your goal is to prove Bigfoot, then yeah, you might want to be the ones to do it, and so you got to be careful of somebody coming in just taking all your hard work. Um, I've been lucky enough that most of the groups, like just about any group, I could probably call up and say, "Hey, can I go out with you?" and they would say, "Okay," because they they know me personally. They know I'm not trying to heist their group, right. steal their stuff. I all if I am trying to document some, I always provide the source. You know you know, tell about them or whatever, it, it helps everybody. And so I, you know, I try to, I belong to every group, but I belong to no group. I just like the subject of Bigfoot. And if somebody else likes it too, then we have a awesome. common uh, meeting point, whether they're in a group or they're not in a group.
2: Hmm.
0: I love that. Yeah, I've always been curious. Like, obviously, you do a lot of, a lot of those conventions with Ken Gearhart and these other people that are out there in this world. And it's always, I've always been fascinated by, especially in this genre where it's people always, if the guy, the girl that gets that first real picture or finds this thing, or it's going to be, it's going to change the world. And so I've always been curious about like the ego and stuff backstage or those meetings where you guys are kind of like, oh, I wrote this book, but I wrote this book. But it seems like you're the type of guy that, the end of the day, let's all help each other, uh, put the time and put research, work together, and maybe we could help solve some of these cases.
1: Yeah, I find that among my colleagues from Ken Gerhard to Dr. Jeff Meldrum and Lauren Coleman and um, all the guys, you know, in these various um, Bigfoot groups, in general, you know, no, no, everybody doesn't say, well, I did this or I did that, you know they're very willing to share as long as they get to know you and know you're a, you know, a honest person, I think. Right. And so That's you cool. need to, it's like with anything, I try to prove myself. I don't go in there. I just, I'm just looking, you know, to, to kind of, if I'm documenting a particular case, I'm, I'm, they understand I want to get all of it, you know, not just part of this, this side of it, I need everything. And then I'm, you know, I'm, giving credit and nobody really fights among the people that i know and the ones that end up in the fights and all that usually get on the fringe with not just Mm -hmm. me or somebody but the whole group (laughs) and it's you know there's usually a common denominator with that yeah
2: when you've been out there um with some of those groups or, or even if you've been by yourself, I don't know if you've ever done any solo research, have you run into kind of like any scary moments or anything that kind of made you a second guess choosing that particular, uh, you know, creature or or lore to follow up on, uh, and if so, has the monster sauce come in handy?
1: (laughs) Well, I've only had the monster sauce out for a short period of time. So I've never actually been able to, you know, offer it to a cryptid in in exchange (laughs) for not eating me but he probably just take the monster sauce and put it on me and then eat me
2: delicious anyway.
1: (laughs) But, um, I mostly go, you know, I don't do a lot of group research. I mean, I'm more just kind of go. Most of it is, is me and one or two other guys that I kind of roam with. Um, and then maybe just some individuals. So I don't do a lot of going to the woods with big groups or anything. Um, I've done that with a, a little bit, but, uh, yeah, there's been some weird stuff um, that's happened. You know, I'm I'm pretty fearless. I, I grew up hunting with my father since I was little. He was a bow hunter and we were always out somewhere. And back back in those days, we had no GPS, no phone. He, he didn't believe in compasses or <laughs> anything. I mean, I don't know how we didn't just get lost in the woods forever. And uh, but uh, we were... Several years ago, myself and my late friend, Tom Shirley, who I did a lot of research in the Boggy Creek area, we were up there and we would take the canoe and put it into the bayou. the area called Mercer Bayou, which is, I mean, it looks like a, a primordial swamp, you know, the, the cypress trees and the Spanish moss and there's stuff slithering and crawling all through there. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of alligators and we would put the canoe in and paddle up at night um, because you know we we're literally the only people out there, and it kind of isolated us. And we could listen and and look around. It's just cool. It was about midnight or thereafter, and we were paddling. We hear this howl come up out of the woods over there, and there's a lot of ambient noise. There's frogs and insects, and you know your the paddle and stuff. So I stopped. I'm like. Was that like the weirdest coyote you ever heard? And he's like, I don't think that was a coyote. So luckily the thing did it again about a minute later. And then we're just like, whoa, dude, it sounds like this howling, growling, deep thing to a howl. And then I'm like, well, that's you know, I've heard millions of coyotes. That's not a coyote. It doesn't sound like a bird, it sounds big. Well, then it did it again. And so now he, you know, he's trying to record it, and we're trying not to make too much noise in the boat. And uh, it was really spooky because then you're like, "Oh crap! What are we doing out here in <laughs> the woods?" I mean, we're just like, no one really knows where we're at. We're out here at midnight in a swamp. There's an alligator. There's something howling. And so we wait, and it doesn't do it again. So we ended up. Well, finally we just turned around and paddled all the way back to where our camp was. You know, we're paddling. I mean, it makes some amount of noise. And we get back and pull that canoe out where there's a hill. That's where we had our tent, because down that bayou, you want to camp a little high. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. there's literally alligators. And we we just got back up to the tent. I mean, it's a very small hill. And all of a sudden, this howl thing comes from right across the bayou channel where we just got out and and of course it caught us off guard again i'm like dude it's the same thing and so he's grabbing the audio thing i grabbed i mean i had a flashlight right there and i just kind of ran down the hill and i was trying to shine it over there you know to see if i could see whatever it was because i mean thought what the hell this is my chance you know and and uh whatever it was ran off and then called again about 50 yards away within seconds and did this howl thing and then went further and howled again and it was super spooky and and then you're you know the adrenaline's pumping and and then you're just kind of like did that thing somehow follow us down the bayou and i mean how did it Get right across from our camp. Uh, we can just presume that it followed us down there and howled at us, and then just you know, probably when I made noise, it ran off. But that was pretty spooky and leads you to question your choice and careers.
2: Oh man! And did you guys stay the night, or did you? <laughs> did oh, yeah. you get out of there? <laughs> no, no,
1: we stayed. I mean, it's no no problem. I mean, my friend Tom. I mean, he was. I mean, this guy was the deal, you know, he he did some he he was a trapper in Mississippi for a while and swamps and nothing. I mean, got nut he was fearless too. And I'm fairly fearless, but yeah, we're we're too manly to admit we're gonna run away. Oh (laughs) man. We're stuck. You know, and and those are the type of things. There've been other things. I was out in Florida where I did another thing where I kind of chased something through the woods and and I got kind of scared then because I got way off down in there. I left my this girl I was with Cindy and ran off down in there and I swear it was a skunk ape but again I couldn't quite get up on it it just run ahead a little bit and I just I couldn't see it in the brush and then I thought well dude if I keep going I'm gonna be lost and then this mm-hmm. I don't even know what I'm chasing here so it gets scary. Mm. I
0: love that uh when this first start you told us that you grew up is this love of movie monsters and tv shows and all this stuff but for you to do a be on joe bob briggs tv show or have ghoul town write a song for elvira like that for you has got to be something super awesome where it's like man you are not only are you following your dreams your passions but those people that kind of inspired you whether it was the movies or the tv shows here you are head-in-hand with them. So can you kind of talk to us about that? Because I find that Joe Bob brings Elvira for me are like the top when it comes to this genre.
1: Yeah, I've somehow had this odd life or odd way of ending up, uh, you know, working with people that I was once a fan of and never even thought that would even be possible. Um, you know, like Joe Bob and, and, and stuff and Elvira, approaching Goulton. we Goultown played at a Harf convention, and uh, she was there, and she approached us, her manager loved the band, and she approached us and said, well, maybe you could write a song, I'm like, yeah, we could do, I could do that, no problem, I mean, I'm basically a fan, I can write about you, and so we did that, and they liked the song so much, we ended up flying to Hollywood and shooting a video for it, because we had a mutual friend that uh, we had worked with, who she was a fan of his books and he was getting into directing and I knew him. So he directed it and made the video, but yeah, it's very surreal to when you're sitting there going, how am I in Elvira's car? I mean, it was even weirder than that. Sometime after they played her, uh, her first movie, Mistress of the Dark at the Alamo theater in in Austin. And she invited me to come watch it with her so i'm in a balcony oh, wow. watch sitting next to her watching a movie about her <laughs> and then joe bob briggs and all kinds of other weird stuff where like my favorite band is the misfits Yep. real town was once playing this double level venue where they had a bands upstairs and downstairs we we were headlining downstairs and they were playing they were they hadn't played yet they're playing upstairs and some and i'm singing or whatever and somebody's pointing over there and i'm like i look over there and jerry only the basis for the misfits is on stage because we're doing a cover of ghost riders in the sky he's over there singing and i'm like what the hell you know i just <laughs> go well this is normal and we went ahead and played and he was just an instant fan of the band and it's like the misfits are my favorite band and then i end up getting to know all those guys and and then joe bob being on his show that that was my favorite show appearance Ever just being there with Joe Bob and watching him in action and talking about the legend of Boggy Creek, that was just so cool.
0: Growing up, like I we had Joe Bobbergs every night we'd watch the Burbs or Critters or Mask of Overdrive, wherever the stuff was. And so he was part of my childhood growing up. But as I got older, it's cool to see Shutter TV do stuff. Obviously, what you did with Joe Bob. But do you find that as as the years go by that Who's going to be the next Elvira? Who's going to be the next Joe Bob Briggs that kind of fuels people's passions for sure. The movies, entertainment, but the real type stuff like Boggy Creek and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I have thought about that. Um, You know, who who are those up and coming? And and let me say that they, they are of a professional level that is not average. I I saw Joe Bob and, and now, you know, he writes the show and he's doing some of it, but a lot of that, when he when he kind of says back to the movie and then he just starts talking, that's that's not scripted. None of that. He's just going off. And that dude is the smartest and he knows everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there in awe, just like, whoa. And, and Elvira as well. She just, you know, in the video, just do this, do that. She's just of a level and, and to try to figure out who... Who would fit in there and, and champion those kind of cheesy movies? It's hard to say. I mean, I'd volunteer for it, but you know, they're still the the kings of it. So.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. I almost feel like that genre was kind of like, you know, a drop in the hat of of you know the seventies to eighties that that monster movie classic uh, evolution, and then. It kind of fell away for a bit and it's coming back now as kind of like cult classics that uh you know if you and i were into it then you know so too our kids are going to be into it because we're going to make them watch that but i feel like maybe the mediums change to you know there there isn't going to be that host hosted night you know movie watching anymore instead the new version is going to be like a youtube channel or a podcast like this or something where you know it's people who grew up on that and they want to talk about that because the golden age of it has has come and in a lot of ways it's still persistent but newer stuff coming out with that classic feel it's it's hard to find uh i don't know i i have i have hopes but you know not not that podcast and youtube is a bad way to get the word out i think it points people back to those classics but um, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely going to take a shift here in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I I love. I I try not to think. Oh, I'm getting old because I keep going back to the classics. But actually, I was back. I was doing the classics when I was a kid already. I mean, I love Hammer movies yep. and the original um, well, Universal just... monsters. All the '50s and '60s monster movies and that '70s sort of thing that Rob Zombie really loves, obviously. Hmm. Um, But I think now it's like you don't have those sort of you don't have those movies and you don't have those opportunities for those icons to have a nationally broadcast TV show. Now it's just spread across everything you've got Mm. a bunch of YouTube guys and you've got a bunch of different types of horror genres it's just distributed now instead of focused like it was
0: to that point. When it comes to research and people who's the next uh lyle blackburn like are you worried that you're going to do all this research and as you get older you can't do the research but who's in your wings and if people want to jump out there into this type of research do they reach out to someone like you or how do they get their feet wet to maybe find out hey i i could be this next researcher i can be this next person that goes out
1: there well i mean people send i get emails like hi i would like to." I would like to become a cryptozoologist that or pursue that career. How would I do that?
0: I'm like,
1: first off, yeah. <laughs> stop, don't, do it. don't do it. Second off, there is no accreditation for it. There's no. I don't know how to tell you to do it. I just, right? You know, you just kind of happen. In fact, I people call me a cryptozoologist. I never really called myself that or even set out to do it. It's like all all I wanted to do is write scary books about people seeing real life monsters and but for lack of a better term it's like well that's cryptozoology so i just go with it but you know for somebody to do it i think they just have to find their own way like you can do research and you can you know publish it on the internet straight to the internet write books do a podcast there's all those different avenues to where all of a sudden just like anything if you do it right. do it long enough and do it well you'll rise to the top and people will notice okay this guy's really good or this girl and uh you, there's no real one set way and I don't know who would follow me or whatever or, you know I don't I don't can unless I can't write and walk and use the phone or I mean I'd have to be it's pretty darn old before I would quit doing this I'm like I can always write a book, you know, and I can always <laughs> use my voice, you know, or whatever. So
0: what yeah. is it? What's your writing process between is it different between writing a song for Ghoultown or writing a chapter in a book? Like how, where do you kind of get ready? How do you get ready for
1: one or the other? Yeah, they're two totally different things, really. Um, like for writing the books, I, I assemble all the data first usually before I start writing anything. Like I'll, if I'm gonna write about uh, a certain monster or whatever, I'll try to find all the newspaper articles that might've existed. I'll search the internet for any kind of blurbs or people posting about it, um, collect all that. If I can find some people to interview, I'll call them. You know, I'll go to that town and start poking around, you know, asking around and interview people. And and then once I've kind of, you know, map out the chapters, of the way I want the book to go, then I'll start writing it up. And I'm just sitting there. Okay, first this happened. I usually go chron- chronologically. It's like there was this and these people saw it. And then this guy, and I talked to this guy and, you know, and then I just roll it in there. So it's just sort of like a more scholarly journalistic thing. Right. with the band it just sort of like I'll just get in a mood or a vibe to write suddenly pick up the guitar which is sitting over here you know there's always the guitars and I'll just mess around and write something and usually the song just kind of come out usually all at once like a whole entire album then I'll just focus on that for a while and and then I'll put the guitar down and I may not touch it for six months. i'm doing monster stuff and then all of a sudden it's like i didn't think i had any more songs but suddenly you know (laughs) but it's it's cool because i i don't work for any i mean some of my books are on a publisher but they don't give me deadlines really or anything it's just i just do whatever i want and when i'm done with it then it'll come out and i like that i don't have any there's you know the songs are they'll be done when they're when I think they're done, the book, when I'm satisfied is done. That's what it's done by, you know, not trying to follow some boss or something telling me when to do it.
2: Do you have Love some uh, research kind of like, or like documentaries or books that, that kind of fall into that same timeline of maybe you'll do some research on it and it'll kind of get put aside until you can get more material or until, you know, uh, you you get a chance to kind of circle back on like more difficult to find leads, uh, and then you'll you'll finish it later. It kind of like your song uh, that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah that that's kind of the way it happens. You know, if I, you know, I kind of have you know folders of stuff, and if I see something that I think is cool or that might fit into something that I envision for the future, I'll go ahead and pursue it. You know, grab that newspaper thing or call that witness and go ahead and record the audio but you know yeah it, it might just go over there because I don't really have enough for that right now and it, it's not what I'm I'm already working on this book but I'll file it over there and then yeah I could come back to it later you know yeah, I mean it could be one year or five or six years you know my sinister swamps book took me about 10 years to gather all that stuff just little by little in between and just putting it together but it made a better book because if I'd have hurried hurried to try to do it I'd never get all those things into one find all those things from one area because it just takes time and then you see another little thing and follow another thread you know
0: Hmm. I love how you put together just launched that uh, hot sauce stuff so is that obviously you're a fan of hot sauce, but how would you kind of put that together where this could be something cool that not only pushes your your brand, I guess, but more uh, push the passion out there that we can, there's people out here looking for this stuff.
1: Yeah, that I, I often have these kooky ideas where I suddenly, you know, well, this time to, to, to do it. And the yeah. hot sauce was, it kind of was a combination of a guy did a, a kind of a I black and white icon of me with a hat and it looked cool like a like a not like a cartoon but an icon that you can see it's me I had that I was like what can I do with that you know and then Elvira put out a hot sauce or or somebody basically licensed her image I saw that and had a little kind of icon of I was like you know I could do a hot sauce people don't real know but i i'm like a gourmet chef and I, I i do i cook and i'm self-taught um before i was in on cryptid shows i was actually gonna launch a, a cooking show that's awesome a rock and that's roll cool. cooking show. I'm, I'm not kidding you this was kind of before it. that guy guy fieri yes. won that contest on the food network and he kind of became a sort of the rock and roll guy this was before that and I was going to have my musician friends come to my house and play like acoustically or something. That was part of the show anyway. So the hot sauce, I just thought, well, I've got an icon. I've got ideas for hot sauces and, and this and that. And maybe I could find a somehow could figure out how to do it. And uh, so I just green lit the project and and did it just. I don't know, to no real intentions of like becoming a hot sauce mogul or anything. But I know that it's cool and everybody eats hot sauce. If mm-hmm. I put that on my table when I'm doing a book signing, people are like, oh, this is cool, you know, and I've been autographing bottles at at events.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it looks good. I'll have to get some for sure.
0: You mentioned, uh, Josh and I both are wondering, the history of your hat, it does look something that's so iconic. Like, is this a hat that like what's the history of this hat
1: uh that's another thing people ask me where did you get your hat where, where can i get one i'm like well this the, the hat actually came from mexico and this was when i started ghoul town I, I started the idea of ghoul town around 1997 and 98 and the band pretty much got launched in 99 and i had a idea of this wet dark western kind of thing and i had another hat that was not quite this like man i need a hat and at the time i I would go to i would go to mexico frequently um i just fly down there and just wing it and go stay at these little places um part of yarta and other places and just hang out and so like well they have a lot of leather goods down there you know, I'm like, I could probably find something really cool, so one time I was down there, you know, there was, and also a vest that I, that I had, I wore a lot on stage, and, uh, you know, it's just some handmade thing, and I've been searching for a backup for 20 years, like, I'll go in, I'll see, even in El Paso, they had some similar hats, they just didn't look right on me, I don't know what it is, or what, so now, now the hat is like, yeah. It's it's insured, it's I never let it out of my sight ever. Awesome. Never, it never. I don't put it on the bags that fly on the plane. It it's on me. And you know, it's it's like in my will that
2: this
1: <laughs> must be preserved. <laughs> <laughs> so is. if you
2: if you and Ken gerhardt are in the same room at the same time, which one has to lose the hat?
1: Well, we don't because you know why it's because none of us can actually prove how young we were when we first wore a hat. Uh, I have a picture when I was three and I, I'm like this attitude and I'm wearing a, it's like a Brown hat at the time, but it's the hat. I'm like, dude, I was wearing hats at three. We well, whips out a picture. He goes, I think I was three in this and he's wearing a hat. It's a hat off. It's a hat off. So it's it's a draw so we just i've
0: actually seen ken though without his hat off and a lot of stuff like press and stuff but you it's like such a psychotic look i think it it definitely is part of your uh legacy for sure
1: yeah and and i there for a while like when i was bigfoot you know i mean it's like i don't wear this in the woods or whatever i don't want to lose it but you know i would wear a baseball hat and stuff and then after a while it doesn't no matter what I was doing or hat or no hat people go where's your hat so I'm like you know I'm just wearing the hat and of course in ghoul Town, I wore it all the time yes. it was like the stage look so I already wore it every time there and then I just now it's like even for a radio interview I just wear the hat now Ken you know he's been on a few shows that that convinced him or made him take the hat off don't like to do it either because that's his trademark. but I I will walk off the set and they do it every time they want to get me on the show and then they get to the set and they go we want to go over something first I did my I just go no well we haven't asked the question I said no can we lose the hat I go no that's like why you hire me and then I tell them I'll leave or you shoot with a hat and then of course they do
2: <laughs> that's true i love it i love it. it's a point of contention
1: <laughs> every time they do it i mean my my agent will put it in the contract he is you know will he will appear in the hat that's his trademark and they'll kind of change it we will most probably let him wear it's like you're wearing. i'm wearing every or i won't, he right. won't learn anything oh yeah <laughs>
2: if there was a challenge coin made it would be you with the hat you can't like it let go yeah. of it
1: Yeah, especially at this point, it's just the thing. It's like people, you know, some people will laugh about that or then it's a joke. Like if I'm a cryptozoologist, I got to have a hat. But, you know, it's just it's just a thing, you know. No, I
0: believe the amount of research you've done and the time and stuff you put towards this field. I think you wear whatever you want, whatever you want. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) Now. Before we let you go and stuff, uh, Lyle, this has been great. Uh, Where can people buy your hot sauce, social media, stuff like that? Tell us about where we can kind of reach out to you and find out what you're doing. And
2: what you got coming up, if you have anything.
1: Right. Um, Lyleblackburn.com is the place to go for all the information. Um, I've got a shop link on there where you can buy stuff directly from me, books, t-shirts, and the hot sauce. It's really kind of the only place you can get it. It's carried in some retail locations, but there's a link on there. I'll tell you where that is. If you happen to be out and about it in the, in the usually Bigfoot museums and places like that, I'll carry it. Um, And uh, you can also get my books on Amazon, of course, and uh, Ghoul Town Music is available wherever finer music is sold. iTunes, Bandcamp, Amazon, everywhere, YouTube, you know, stream it um and uh there's links at liveblackburn.com to all that stuff so coming up i've got some event appearances it seems like the fall kind of started got rolling with having more things around the country although the mothman festival just got canceled i was uh, supposed to speak at that but you know covid's up and down so there is there's a list of things so i'm about ready to get out and do do some events um and then sort of i've been working on a book project slowly but surely kind of as, as i've been going i kind of i put two books out last year so i took a a bit of a breather for a while <laughs> did the monster sauce thing like yeah. and now i'm kind of back to now it's become like which book do i write because i get out this list and it's like 15 titles long I, where, which one do i write <laughs> so, yeah yeah but uh, always, always working on a book. So
0: love it. Well, uh, again, thank you, Josh, for wanting to be out here, and thank you, Lyle, for coming on spirit Talk. And uh, this was a blast, and we'll have to do it again.
1: Absolutely enjoyed Absolutely,
0: it. Yeah, awesome. Thank, thank you, thank gentlemen. You. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts. Other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week.